0: chapters thirty five and thirty six of the third volume by fergus hume this librivox recording is in the public domain thirty five the original of the portrait claude larcher was blessed with the best of tempers and strongly gifted with self-control he found these virtues very necessary in his profession especially when in command of a body of men in the wilds there no trouble ruffled him no disappointment depressed his spirits He was always serene and amiable, so that among his comrades his good temper had become proverbial. Had they seen him at this moment, they would have found reason to alter their opinion. The case wore out his patience. He saw no end to the complications arising therefrom. No sooner was one obstacle surmounted than another blocked up the path. But for Tate he would have taken Hilliston's advice long ago and let the matter lie but the little man was bent on solving this particularly tantalizing mystery and so urged his friend to persevere in what seemed to be futile attempts so far claude had held to his resolve but this last letter of tate's with its budget of new complications threw him into a rage he vowed that he would throw up the matter as soon as tate returned his father was dead and there was an end of it after five-and-twenty years nothing whatever could be discovered and above all there was jenny claude was too clear-sighted to disguise from himself the fact that he was in love and now enlightened by mrs hilliston regarding the feelings of the young lady he was doubly anxious to make her his wife before he could do so he had to remove an obstacle in the shape of her father and that was no easy matter who mr paynton was he did not know whether he was implicated in the larger affair he could not guess but of one thing he was certain that mr paynton resented his prosecution of the case while he continued to investigate the mystery the recluse would continue inimical and would therefore refuse to permit him to pay attentions to his daughter regarding linton and his love claude had no fears he had been assured by mrs hilliston that jenny liked him best and taking advantage of the hint he had thrown himself as frequently as possible into the society of his beloved did jenny go to the vicarage claude was there under the pretence of questioning the clergyman concerning the architecture of the church did she practise on the organ claude was always waiting at the door to carry her music-book to rose cottage a walk in the morning he was in the vicinity a stroll in the evening and he appeared unexpectedly round the nearest corner in driving riding walking visiting this persistent young man was constantly to be found near miss jenny paynton all this meant infatuation availing himself of the opportunities thus afforded he learned her secret and betrayed his own without a word being said on either side with the shadow of the case between them these two young people fell in love with one another when tate returned two days after his last letter he was confronted by claude with the intimation that he wished to stop further investigations Tate, who was devoured by an unappeasable curiosity to find out the truth, resented this backsliding and told Claude his opinion very plainly. But for their long friendship they would have quarrelled over the matter. As it was, Tate argued out the question and induced Claude to come round to his way of thinking. But it was a hard task. "'You are not going to turn back after putting your hand to the plough, he said when Claude first broached the subject of abandoning the case." why not if the plough won't move returned the young man flippantly the plough will move returned tate vehemently you got my last letter i did but i don't see that it contains anything likely to elucidate the mystery your dick Pentle is a madman your miss pike is an untrustworthy gossip that is your opinion not mine i have made a discovery since writing my last letter of which i have not yet had time to inform you what is it i'll tell you later on meanwhile is it on account of this girl that you have decided to abandon the case partly and partly because i think we are wasting time our investigation can lead to no result you may find out who killed your father i doubt that replied larcher coolly you suspect hilliston you suspect charingham you suspect mona bantry why in your last letter you hinted at the guilt of dennis simply because a drunken lunatic told you a wild story yet so far as i can see you have not a morsel of evidence against any one of the four you are wrong said tate in an argumentative manner the misfortune is that there is too much evidence against them all i could furnish you with a case against each which so far as circumstantial evidence is concerned would convince you of their individual guilt theory tate theory we'll prove that soon my boy said tate with exasperating coolness if you back out of the case i at least am determined to see it through i suppose you are bent on marrying the young lady if she'll have me yes Humph. there's another obstacle which you have overlooked the consent of her father our mysterious friend paynton i have not overlooked the obstacle i will obtain his consent from his own lips and how do you intend to see him through the agency of mr hilliston replied larcher calmly he has agreed to introduce me to paynton to-morrow here is his letter the little man fairly bounded from his chair and he took the letter from his friend's hand with an air of bewilderment after mastering the contents he returned it with a satisfied nod i congratulate you claude he said with a good-humoured air Though you failed with the man, you may succeed with the matter. But how in the name of Olympian Jove did you induce Hilliston to do this? Why, he saw that I was in love with Jenny, and for some inexplicable reason he has agreed to forward my suit by introducing me to plead my cause with the father. Not so inexplicable as you think, said Tate sagaciously. I see his idea. He thinks you will be so occupied with love making as to abandon the case i don't know that he isn't right oh i see you are bent on getting quit of the matter claude but and tate shook a reproving forefinger you will change your mind after this interview with our hermit friend why so you will learn something which will astonish you i only wish i could be present with you to see what occurs but if i make no reference to the case said larcher seriously tate waxed indignant on the instant and spoke his mind freely claude my friend i went into this matter solely on your account and you owe it to me to see it through if you find further investigation a bar to your marriage i will agree to let the matter drop but first added tate with emphasis you must make an effort to get the truth out of this man swear to him that you are resolved to push the matter to the end tell him that i have learned something new at horriston mention the name of louisa sinclair then see the result after hearing the story of dicky Pentle, i am convinced that this man is jeringham i will do all you say replied claude after some hesitation but i am afraid that my pertinacity in this matter will prejudice my wooing. if at the end of the interview you see that withdraw your intention to go on with the case then out of gratitude he may give you his daughter bluff him first yield afterward in that way we may discover who paynton is what he has to do with the case and why he is connected with hilliston do you agree good give me your hand on that the two men shook hands though it was not without a secret qualm that claude thus sealed the compact after a pause he said and who is this louisa sinclair you make such a point of my mentioning to paynton ah that is my discovery said tate rubbing his hands when i interviewed mrs bessel i showed her a portrait of mrs hilliston whom curiously enough she had never seen no doubt hilliston had his reasons Therefore, she seemed startled but said nothing then she wrote to you about louisa sinclair but what has louisa sinclair to do with mrs hilliston can't you guess Miss Pike showed me a portrait of Louisa Sinclair taken twenty-five years ago. I did not then wonder at Mrs. Bezel's start or that Hilliston had refrained from letting her see the picture of his wife. In a word, Louisa Sinclair and Mrs. Hilliston are one and the same woman. Ah! cried Claude with a sudden recollection. It was for that she was so afraid of your going to Horiston. Yes, she thought I might learn too much. "'This is the beginning of the end, Claude.' "'What? Do you think Mrs. Hilliston knows anything of the case?' "'According to your mother she knows a good deal. "'According to Miss Spike, she is in possession of certain facts. "'Yes. I think Mrs. Hilliston can help us if she will.' "'But, my dear Tate,' said Claude quietly, "'Mrs. Hilliston is an American.' "'Ah!' louise sinclair went to america and probably became a naturalized subject of the stars and stripes but objected larcher she was a widow when she married hilliston so i believe a mrs derrick no doubt she came by all her money through that first marriage oh i can put the puzzle easily together no wonder hilliston wanted the case dropped both on his own account and on that of his wife what do you mean Tate? do you suspect that say no more said tate rising i will tell you what i mean after you have seen paynton but then added he significantly i don't think you will need any explanation thirty six a strange thing happens the next morning, Claude received a second letter from Hilliston, stating that as his wife was ill he would be unable to come over to Thorston, but directing the young man to go to Rose Cottage at noon when Mr. Paynton would be ready to receive him. Tate regretted that he had not been included in the invitation, and carefully instructed Claude how to act during the interview. I believe Payton can settle the matter, were his parting words. So put love out of your head for the time being, and do your best to extract the truth anxious to oblige one who took so much interest in his private affairs larcher promised to do what he could and shortly after eleven started for rose cottage as a matter of fact he need not have gone so soon but he did so in the hope of meeting with jenny well acquainted as he was with her movements his surmise proved correct for he met the young lady at the end of nightingale lane she blushed and expressed surprise at the meeting but such feigning is part of love's comedy I did not expect to see you here, Mr. Larcher, she said, after the first greetings had passed between them. Where are you going? I am about to call on your father. Really, said Jenny, with some perplexity and more doubt. I am afraid you go on a useless errand. My father sees no one. He will see me, replied Claude quietly. I come by appointment. Mr. Hilliston spoke to your father with the result that he has agreed to see me. "'Has your visit anything to do with—with that novel?' "'It has everything to do with it. "'I wish to ask Mr. Paynton some questions in connection with my father's death.' "'But he knows nothing—nothing!' cried Jenny vehemently. "'He can tell you nothing. "'It is worse than useless for you to speak to him on the subject. "'You will only make him ill.' "'But I have to speak to him on another subject,' said Claude artfully.' Jenny looked up inquiringly, remarked the passion in his gaze, and turned away her face with a blush. Much as she would have liked to, she found it impossible to appear ignorant of his meaning. "'It seems to me that I am the person to be first consulted,' she said with a pout. "'Jenny, I—hush, here is Carrie. See my father first, and then see me. Till then, good-bye.' She flitted rapidly away and turned the corner of the lane as Carrie, more crabbed-looking than ever, came up to where Claude was standing. It was then that Larcher saw that the old servant was suffering under some strong emotion. His eyes were brighter than usual, his lips quivered, and he was so nervous that he could keep neither limbs nor body at rest. Rightly connecting this agitation with his visit, Claude wisely held his peace and waited to hear what Carrie had to say you'll be after seeing the master sir said carrie in breathless anxiety he is waiting for you sir in the garden i was just on my way there carrie and stopped to speak for a few minutes to miss jenny i am very glad that mr paynton has consented to see me and you may well be glad master claude master claude echoed the young man stopping short oh blazes twas a slip of the tongue sir cried carrie anxiously don't notice it sir sure it's old i am and my mind wanders then you deny that you are dennis bantry say nothing of that sir let the master speak his own mind to you you'll know soon enough who i am and that's a fact anyhow i am convinced in my own mind that you are my father's old servant said larcher as he resumed his walk but who your master is i am not so clear Carry shook his head and pursed up his lips as though determined to let no information escape him they walked along in silence and it was only when he unlocked the gate in the red brick wall that carey again opened his mouth keep silent sir if you love me he said in a low tone don't agitate the master he'll do the speaking and tell you all you wish to know be and more too larcher nodded and passed into the garden The morning was warm and sunny, and the colours of the flowers were dazzling in the warm glow against the white walls of the cottage. With his hands clasped behind his back, Payton paced meditatively up and down the path before the house, but stopped as he caught sight of his visitor. Taking off his hat in tribute to the venerable looks of the old gentleman, Claude bowed and waited to be addressed. For some moments Peyton looked at him in silence, with much emotion, then controlling himself with some difficulty held out his hand i am glad to see you mr mr larcher suggested claude seeing his host at a loss for the name larcher gasped peyton with an effort yes yes my friend mr hilliston advised me of your coming let us under the house we will have more privacy there as claude knew no one was about in that walled place but and the deaf old housekeeper he wondered what further privacy was necessary but considering that paynton had doubtless good reason for his action he bowed silently and followed him within as requested in a few minutes they were in the book-room paynton seated himself in such a position as to place his back to the strong light shining through the window and asked claude to be seated in a chair which lacked this advantage in this way paynton could observe every change in the face of his visitor while his own being in the shadow was more difficult to read larcher saw the manoeuvre but did not think it necessary to make any objection in his place tate would have acted differently i am greatly obliged that you have consented to see me said claude breaking the silence for i am informed that you live a very secluded life that is true i accord you this interview at the request of my friend mr hilliston but at the same time i may tell you that i have my own reasons for granting it i think i can guess your reasons mr paynton no doubt replied paynton touching a book on the table they are not unconnected with this novel you know of course that my daughter that jenny supplied young linton with the material for his plot i do she found the report of my father's murder in some old newspapers in this house did you not think it strange that i should be in possession of such a report "'Naturally I did,' answered Claude, replying to this direct question with marked embarrassment. "'And it is on that account that I ask you to help me.' "'Do you think I can do so?' "'I am sure of it.' "'Why?' asked Paynton in an unsteady voice. "'Because you know about the matter. "'You retained the report of the trial. "'Dennis Bantry is in your service under the name of Carey, and—how do you know that?' Why, in the third volume of that book, there is an episode of a scarf pin which is not mentioned in the report of the trial, but which was told to Miss Paynton by the man you call Carrie. Now, only two persons knew that a scarf pin was picked up on the grounds of the Laurels after the murder. One was Hilliston, the other Dennis Bantry. You must see, Mr. Paynton, that I can only come to one conclusion. I presume you got this information from Hilliston, said Paynton in an altered voice. "'Mr. Hilliston spoke of it,' replied Claude cautiously. He did not intend to reveal that he had heard it from his mother, or indeed to reveal the existence of Mrs. Larcher until he was sure of his ground and positive of Paynton's identity. Accepting his diplomatic answer in the affirmative, Paynton nodded and went on with his questioning. "'You spoke to Carrie on the subject?' "'I did, but as you may guess I failed.' "'Naturally.' carrie is a faithful servant i owe more to him than i can never repay but here we are talking about the murder added paynton irrelevantly when you wish to speak about jenny at least so hilliston informed me i do wish to speak of your daughter later on said claude with a flushed cheek but in the meantime i am anxious to come to an understanding about this crime why said paynton rather disconcerted at his failure to turn the conversation because i have sworn to avenge the death of my father that is what a good son should do said paynton thoughtfully but after twenty-five years the chances are small you wish to find the murderer so do i you yes i am more deeply interested in this matter than you suppose who do you think i am he asked i cannot say unless you are jeringham jeringham said paynton in a faltering tone no i am not jeringham poor soul do you think him guilty of the crime i do and i don't sometimes it seems so at others i fancy hilliston to be guilty hilliston guilty said paynton rising what do you mean oh it is only a theory said claude hastily but my friend tate who was at Horriston a few days ago found out all kinds of things which implicated one person and another he found don't tell me don't tell me said paynton hastily i cannot talk to you longer or i shall be ill this interview has already tried me too much here he added unlocking a drawer in his desk take these papers "'you will find in them a full account of all I know of the matter.' "'You were then an eye witness," said Claude, joyfully slipping the roll of manuscript into his pocket. "'He had been more successful than he had hoped to be.' Paynton pressed his hands together and looked eagerly at Claude. "'I can bear it no longer,' he said impatiently, laying his hands on the shoulders of the astonished young man. "'Boy, boy!' "'Can you not guess who I am?' "'No,' replied Larcher, rising to his feet in some wonder. "'I do not know who you can be, unless you are Jeringham.' "'I am not Jeringham. "'He is dead.' "'Dead?' I murdered.' "'Can you not see? "'Can you not guess?' "'Claude, the man who was killed at Horriston was not George Larcher.' it was mark jeringham but you you i am your father end of chapters thirty five and thirty six